Welcome to EPMI Cast. I'm Alex Cadet, your host. If you don't know by now, earlier this summer, EPMI was acquired by Centroid, a fantastic Oracle partner. And today, we have a slight twist on the podcast, and we invited William Chen, the CFO of Centroid, onto the show to talk about the life of a CFO. We are also accompanied by EPMI's May Parikh, and we'll talk about Will's background, Centroid's recent Oracle implementation, day-to-day job functions, and more. Please subscribe and rate EPMI Cast on your favorite streaming platforms, and let's get the show started. So, welcome to the show, Will. Thank you so much for joining us on EPMI Cast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, yes, um, I know we live, you know, 10 minutes away from each other, but it's nice to be able to uh, record this virtually. And, uh, you know, one thing I really wanted to start off with is, you know, give us a little bit of background. I mean, you're our very own CFO. So how did you get here? Give us a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, Yeah, of course. I'm happy to. uh, So I've done a large number of things, worked in the big four environment of Auditor PwC, then did a bunch of transaction services work at KPMG before going to business school. And then coming out of business school, I did some M&A investment banking out in New York and then eventually transitioned to um, kind of doing a lot more private equity portfolio company work as an outside consultant, eventually migrating to corporate. It's just pretty logical transition. But um, I think the office of CFO has always been appealing just because I've done a lot of different things within both accounting, uh, M&A, corporate finance, and more specifically focus on private equity firms and their portfolio company operations specifically. So, you know, Centroid attracted me is because uh, I was coming up looking for an environment where I can really help drive growth, both organically and organically. And Centroid being a 25-year privately owned company that's been growing really at a pretty steady clip. And then recently got a um, kind of private equity investor. So we're able to do a lot more and even eventually into some more unfamiliar territory like MA for example. So that's what brought me um, kind of up to this point in my career and kind of how I got to Centroid. Thank you for that background. And I'm curious to know, you know, you mentioned a lot about being able to drive change and drive growth and, you know, Centroid and EPMI as a Centroid company, we're all at the cusp of what I think is, you know, massive growth potential. So what do you think is driving that specifically in, you know, technology services or just professional services? I'm sure you have, you know, you have a varied background. So what, what do you think is driving that specifically for our industry? You think about, you know, when, when things were easy, right? When interest rates were, when money was free, interest rates were low. I can always just go to the bank and borrow an extra million dollar fund payroll. And I don't lose any sleep over it. But in this sort of environment where I'm not sure where, you know, if the customer order is going to be there. And every dollar payroll, every dollar OPEX that I spend into the business has a call eight, eight to 10% interest rate. Right, depending on the size of the organization, that that now um, constrains the decision making process. Meaning that what my new decisions in terms of what I decide to invest in the business, not invest in the business, have huge financial implications. And in an environment where I'm only, you know, my point of view is primarily is more uh, private equity specific, where we're managing cash flow, managing to an exit, managing uh, kind of profitability on a quarterly reporting to the bank and tracking covenant and that sort of thing. All of these becomes much more, um, I guess the four wall is a little bit smaller these days than when money was free. So as a result, 
fundamentally, I think, you know, all the talks about AI, all the talks about data, I think there's a lot of uh, tailwinds in our sector only because now with a much more constrained um, operating environment, meaning people are walking with a much tighter rope, the data becomes much more important. Data-driven decision-making, all the things that, you know, consultants sell become actually much more important, right? And also be able to leverage um, kind of AI, computer learning to drive some kind of first draft of, of report, first draft of analysis, analytics to for senior management to be able to um, kind of opine on, make decisions on and refine um, their sort of critical business processes become much more important. So I think there's a lot of good things happening in the space of driving demand, but at the same time, it's the, the challenge I foresee is really the part where machine marry, um, the marriage between people and machine and the data, right? Because data machine can catch up much quicker than people. So I think there's the people aspect is still, we're catching up. Right. And you mentioned something interesting because, you know, that's always going to be at the core of any businesses, the people that you have. And it's always, you know, tough with change management, whether it's a new mm -hmm. system implementation, right? Or it's an M&A, it's M&A activity. So what advice do you have? I mean, you guys went through, we went through an Oracle implementation, right? Not too long right. ago. So what advice do you have to CFOs that are considering that journey? Um, you know, is it to invest now for the future? You know, what what kind of thought process would you go through or did you go through um, seeing the current climate and how it is today? Yeah, I would say um, I, I would say because it is a big investment in both dollars and um, dollars and also resources of the internal team and the time and you put in is that. Uh, my advice would really be very measured about it, particularly in this environment where kind of, you know, all the risk I, I highlighted, right? Because la last thing you want is to um, get the budget approval to invest in a system migration that ended up doing no better than what you did before. So that's kind of the egg on your face moment. And also the other thing I would say is, too, is that um, fundamentally the challenge, when I say measure it, there are a couple of things you, you really have to consider before you actually think about whether the migration and the transformation is right for you. It's really, you know, a lot of times what I see is that people just kind of jump into it because it's like, okay, everybody has Nestwing. I want to go into Nestwing. Everybody has, you know, you know, Hyperion. We're going to go into Hyperion. We're going to chase the latest great technology while their core team has not evolved over time. So you can drive a Ferrari, but if you're used to driving, you know, a golf cart, the golf cart driver is not going to be able to operate a Ferrari any better than the golf cart. So you, you're essentially investing all this resource and time to get to a kind of next phase in a system perspective, but people have not caught up. So I think when I say measured, it's really, it's a much more holistic and bigger view about uh, being, in, being honest with yourself and whether your team can handle the additional data that comes out of it, whether your management team has the um, sort of, are honest with yourself in terms of sometimes the data and the analysis that comes out may not support what you think you're doing. Meaning that, you know, if I wake up every morning, I think I look like Tom Brady, but that's not the reality, right? Sometimes you hit that moment where it's the cognitive dissonance aspect of it's hard for management and the team. So be measured about it, but I would say everything else being equal, if kind of your, um, your organization, the team, and the senior management is ready. I would say that is absolutely like a worthwhile investment to go into because it's a, you know, it's a highly competitive environment. Whatever you don't do today, your competitors have done it yesterday. 
And we always tell our customers, you never want to go back to the CFO for more money, right? For the implementation. Right. So I can see where you're coming from. If you're not, you know, taking into consideration the factors you mentioned, you can have that egg on your face moment. And that's what we all, you know, try to avoid. Um, but in addition, you know, those are some good, um, you know, risks to consider. But what are the, you know, measures of readiness, right? For example, mm -hmm. is it knowing your process? Is it making sure, like you mentioned, having a team that can handle not only the data after, but the implementation? Is it, you know, having a dedicated, you know, office for the project, you know, structuring project management? What are some of those things prior to embarking on an implementation that you think, you know, are good readiness checks? It's really knowing yourself, knowing what, knowing what the uh, strengths and weaknesses are, knowing where the gaps in the processes are, and also more importantly, knowing where exactly you're trying to get to, right? So I'll use, I'll use us, for example. We were using QuickBooks and you know, not a lot of internal processes around kind of finance, accounting, analysis, all that stuff. So it was everything is that um, our tech stack was a little bit disparate. So QuickBooks being the fundamental accounting ERP system. And then there's not an analysis on top of it. There's not a lot of forward-looking sort of analysis. So everything is sort of is driven on a reactionary basis. So knowing the lay of the land, where we where we are today, and also knowing that now, now we have bank, we have covenant compliance, we have private equity investor, which the private equity sector tend to be very data data heavy, meaning the um, kind of they want more data than not, and they want it quicker than not. So knowing where where we are, where we need to get to, was important to drive that decision. Meaning that I know that you know, for example, I'm using picking up QuickBook. It's a great system up to to a certain point. So I'm not um, picking on it, but at some point we just were not able to get through an audit with all the sort of quirks within QuickBook and also uh, pull data out of the system easily, so we can actually value and make critical decision making process quickly. So those are the things that we're trying to address. That's why ultimately that was a pretty easy decision from our end to launch into a, and, for, and coming from a system implementation organization like Centroid, it was easy because we basically use the same methodology. We work, work with client to do our own implementation. So what has life been after the implementation? And, you know, it seems like you're, you know, you were very methodical about, you know, embarking on the journey. You knew what your, you know, targeted outcomes and measures of success were. But how has that panned out? You know, what kind of improvements are you seeing? And what areas, you know, do you feel like you still have to evolve? I feel like a lot of people always go into the system implementation with the expectation that, you know, once the consultants are done, it's done. Like, we don't, we don't have to do, like, the house is built, right? We just turn on the light and I, life goes on. But what I found is that um, you need to continuously tweak the system, meaning that you're not going through implementation, but the, how good this, how, how much maintenance you need to do on the system is directly correlated to how much work you put in on the front end. So if you if you just have a completely hands-off approach during the implementation process and say, hey, uh, consultants, Centroid EPMI, you guys come do this. I don't don't ever call me until call me when it's done. Right? You're gonna need a lot of maintenance afterwards, configuration, tweaks, all that stuff. So it's less work you're putting up front, more work you have on the back end. For us, we put in a lot of work up front. So we have sort of Really, just as we um, kind of the system, once the system went live and we start to tweak our internal process, meaning the people aspect of it and the process aspect of around the system. And then it's almost like a constant feedback loop, right? 
does the process work based on the system? Does the system work based on the process? And we have ongoing tweaks. But I would say, you know, coming out of the system implementate when it went live, we were probably tweaking, call it 10 to 25% for the first three months. And now we're tweaking the last for the five to 5%. But again, it's sort of, it changes. So as we embark on more M&A, for example, that we're attacking a kind of different geographies, different service lines. Now the system needs to be tweaked. Uh, the dial needs to be uh, kind of um, tweaked a little bit more, right? So it's an ongoing process. So I think that's that's the part that's important for people to at least um, not underestimate that it's the work is not done when it goes live. During mm-hmm. the implementation, like you mentioned, you get out of it essentially what you put into it. But have you guys enlisted a third party? Do you feel like your team has, um, you know, been able to handle it internally? We get that question a lot is, hey, how much support am I going to need? Or if I want to change the system, you know, is that something we can handle? Um, So how how have we handled it? If I were not working within within this environment where I have so much internal resources at my disposal, I would say the most important thing is really um, kind of speaking from my own experience, even from a controller's perspective, right? I think it's keeping an eye out for any recurring issues, meaning that this report is is really paying the ass every single month to pull. And our AR is not showing up correctly every single month. Sort of keeping an eye in the back of your head and mental note about recurring issues that you are communicating out. So it's it's almost like and from a leadership and a user perspective, keeping that running log of things that could be improved on. Because that's where you really add the system efficiency. And then once you have kind of a critical mass of things. Maybe it's hiring a 20 block hour consultant time to come go through all those changes once every quarter. But you having a regular cadence and keeping a running list helps. That's a good point. You know, at the end of the day, we call it go live and it's a live system. So it's living, it's breathing, and it needs to change and evolve um, with your business. As you mentioned with M&A activity or just as, the more you use it, the more you learn, right? Um, yeah. So Also, in- it change, the business changes too once, you know, it, it, it is unreasonable for anybody to know how the system is going to work within your organization. And once it goes live, it becomes its own sort of uh, living, breathing entity. So your business process needs to evolve to adapt to it. So it's not, it's certainly not a sort of, the system and the business process run in parallel tracks and they don't interact and nothing needs to change. Like they both need to change. And that's a good point you brought up. When you guys were going through the implementation, I'm sure there were changes on the process and then also configuration changes or customizations to fit your unique process. What do you say the balance of that was? Did you guys end up adopting a lot of the out of the box practices or were there a lot of customizations? Um, You know, how did you guys balance that? Or did you, you know, take the process and say, okay, let's take a fresh look at it. And are there things Mm -hmm. we could be differently? So because we're coming from, uh, I would say, for lack of a better word, a very rudimentary process out of QuickBooks and a bunch of different disparate pieces in our sort of IT stack. So the idea was really that, you know, phase one, we're going to go, we're going to launch, implement OpenAir, implement NetSuite, see how that works, see how our business process evolves. As phase two or three, we'll start thinking about once the business process evolves to a steady state, once the system evolves to a steady state, then we think about the additional add-ons. So we're a little bit more patient and measured in that approach, meaning that we're not we're not adding every single bell and whistle because we know it's going to be iterative in terms of business process. 
So I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, a lot of times we will talk to a customer and say, what's your starting point? As you were saying, what's the lay of the land, but also what's your maturity level in these different process areas, whether Mm -hmm. that's, you know, planning and budgeting, reporting, but as you said, oftentimes customers, you know, most of the time know their uh, gaps, right, where they are and and where they're going to have challenges. So mapping that maturity level early on and then also setting a target maturity of where you want to get to, and it can be a phased approach. Um, Mm -hmm. But from what you're saying, it it seems like going from those rudimentary systems, you were able to get more insight into the data. What other Mm -hmm. benefits do you feel like you've achieved, you know, in terms of accounting, finance, back office functions? Um, You know, I know you've mentioned to me it's it's less manual, but, you know, what other benefits um, did you feel like that implementation brought? I think we have more standardized data that's, um, I almost want to say like more audit ready, meaning that it's hard close every month and we can drill down into specific things. And uh, I can actually build forecasting tools. I can build cash flow liquidity management tools. I can build models on top of that with a standard output. Whereas QuickBook, it's uh, kind of the the columns and everything is sort of not, not easily usable because nothing is really in the data. Um, data table format. And then I think there's just a lot more configuration. So it's, um, you know, for example, our junior folks don't have to pull out a report and run a pivot every single month, right? The report comes out sort of default and we can customize it to be able to use it out, out of the box. So the elimination of the kind of first layer of touch point at the junior person level is really where I see the efficiency. And then also from a, kind of from my perspective, the fact that I have standard data I can plug into existing model that I'm running analysis on top of to report to the bank, report to the private equity investor. That's extremely helpful. Because yes. before the lead time would have been, you know, an analyst need to spend two days pulling the data out, massaging it before I can even start my work. But now I can just pull it straight out of the Nestle, for example. Right, right. And so it seems like you've gained, you know, that first level or even second, you know, level of maturity where you're getting, you know, better data faster, so Mm -hmm. more accurate close. And then, you know, going forward, taking a step back, you know, from a a strategy or vision perspective, before any CFO or you consider any other implementation, what, Mm -hmm. what do you use to balance the cost versus, you know, keeping up with the strategic growth initiatives, right? So all of this is an investment, gaining these benefits, that's an investment. How do you make those kinds of investment decisions? And, you know, you think CFO, everyone thinks you're in there to, you know, streamline costs, but I feel like you take more of a strategic long-term, you know, approach to that. So what, what's your secret? What do you look at? Um, So it's part about how you sell. So within a private equity setting, it's almost easier to sell the system implementation. Now you can sell it one of two ways. You can sell it as an, a cost, meaning that, Hey, we're going to implement a system. We're going to lay out two people. So the cost is neutral, right? But normally I don't really find that to be a good way to sell a deal because that a lot of times what I find is that the system doesn't really eliminate the need for people. It just requires a different kind of people to make it more useful, right? So within a private equity setting, everybody needs to go from, you know, digital transformation sort of first and foremost, a foundational aspect of what a CFO, a new CFO within the company does. So it's a little bit easier sell within that setting. But I will say, generally speaking, what I tend to focus on much more of the value aspect of it, meaning that, you know, I, I can list out itemize what my team spend time on. And then I can list out sort of itemize as well. Post, post a new system, what those 
people will be doing differently and what's what's the additional things that we currently are not able to do real time like monthly forecast with uh the data we we're getting before that was not clean that requires a lot of ma massaging and maneuvering we were doing forecast quarterly now we're doing it monthly and what that means is that maybe we can manage liquidity better you know if you slap on you really want to go crazy and quantify things and say okay let's say we can manage our liquidity better and have one million dollar better in working capital eight percent interest rate that, that gives you a number so you can be creative about selling it or you can just um the other approach it's just hey um no but in the big organization you can say well now the system can help me process ap now we don't need five ap clerk we only need three right that's a very quantifiable way too but for us as being a smaller company with a lean back office it's a little bit harder for me to make the argument so it's really thinking about thinking through that and selling the uh, improvements and outputs so thinking beyond you know um finance as being able to get the value out of a system you know we just came mm -hmm. from a really successful oracle cloud world and um one of the biggest themes we heard from cfos you know is when you're measuring value one of the biggest mm -hmm. areas of value can be looking outside of finance into departmental value from an implementation so getting better visibility mm -hmm. to marketing spend drivers hr and other lines of business you know is that something that you struggle with or what are what are your thoughts on that in your current role or even previous roles that you've had um yeah it's not easy i would say in this environment where everything sort of a lot of headwinds, a lot of constraints. I think the CFO role is evolving. I think we talked about that a little bit before the call. Is that I think a CFO is almost like you're expected to manage numbers, but you have a you're also expected to have an input and a you're expected to have lever into driving what the numbers are. Meaning that you know it's not it's not just a sell, head of sales job to drive revenue. Like you should have input into how they drive that revenue. Is it most efficiently? Uh, marketing campaign, what that looks like, right? Historically, I think CFO finance people tend to be more cost-centric, meaning that, hey, yesterday you spent $100. Uh, we're trying to improve our performance. So today I want you to spend $95. Send me your budget. That adds up to 95. Full stop. But I, I think this environment is requiring CFOs to evolve. And uh, it's I find it challenging myself is that you know, it's almost it's almost a little bit like now you're delving outside of numbers, right? For example, if you're trying to improve EBITDA by 10%, you have probably 100 different ways to save money. What is the most efficient way to save money? You don't want to chop off um, your right arm by cutting sales team, but are the sales team spending money the most efficient way? Are the marketing campaign being spent the most efficient way? So it's more about the efficiency and the value you're getting for your dollars spent less than just uh, dollaring a black and white binary sort of way, right? Which historically, you could run a, you could run an organization that way, but sometimes you reach some illogical outcome, meaning that, hey, the best way to, um, you can maximize EBITDA by spending no cost. But if you no cost, you have no ability to grow, right? So if you just follow a KPI to its absolute extreme, maximize a single KPI, you sometimes get to illogical conclusion. And I think that's the part where, Kind of going back to what a CFO is expected to do these days is that it's almost like you have to um, kind of thread the needle and go seek a multivariable equation. And the other challenge I think sometimes finance people are not well equipped to do is that how do you have uh, exert control without the specific hierarchy, meaning that your head of sales doesn't report into you. How do you influence that decision, right? Your head of marketing doesn't report into you. How do you 
kind of change the way they think about it. So a lot of times I do find that the challenge is really, you know, how many different ways can I tell you two plus two is four? Right. <laughs> but still being open-minded that, Hey, I could be wrong. Well, what's your, what's your um, tip or secret or advice, right? I mean, without challenging the organizational hierarchy, without, you know, also being, you know, responsible for these areas, how do you thread the needle? Um, what is it? Do you, what do you do to enable your people to be able to get that story? Right. I would say it's um, two things being open-minded that, being open-minded to the fact that I could be wrong, my team could be wrong, the numbers the numbers might be right, but our interpretation of it and the context might be wrong. So being open-minded to the fact that the number is not, the number in the data is not the whole truth. Sometimes it's hard for a finance person to understand that, right? The number, numbers are numbers, it's, it's hard data, but it may not be the right thing in a decision-making process. And second, I think it's the, um, this part takes a little bit longer. So I lot, my, I build my team with people who can be cross-functional, meaning that I send them into operations, sales, and do different things. Because what you really want to do is be able to build equity ahead of times, ahead of when you need to call, when you need to cash a check to drive a decision and kind of have influence, right? So it's almost like um, it's a horse trading exercise a little bit. Like I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving and I'll take some, Right. So it's a little bit back and forth. So need to build that trust. And a lot of times it's um, what I've seen in my experience in working with a lot of private equity back portfolio company as a consultant, because most of the time you get bringing in when things are not going well, the wheels kind of falling off the wagon a little bit, is that the finance organization is tasked with delivering results and the results are bad. And the finance person, the CFO can explain why it's bad. But the next logical question from the investor is really that, well, what are we doing about it? No. And then it's, you have the silence in the room. So I think the modern the new, new CFO that's going to be successful now into the future is going to be that person that can say, hey, numbers are bad because of ABC. And these are the XYZ things I'm doing with the team. And, you know, some some you're going to get traction, some you're not. But all that requires a much more um, kind of a dynamic um personality to be able to influence without the specific hierarchy and also you know a lot of that it's much more eq than iq quite frankly right and a system is not going to solve that just because you have no. a delegated system where marketing can enter their spend doesn't mean that you know the story that they have to tell right or can explain yeah. it understand it right so i think that's a really good point is that you need to have the communication and rapport across different departments to really have that collaborative view of the business and yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> along those lines, you know, uh, what motivates then you to do that? Because it takes extra work. It takes extra, you know, thought and, you know, leadership to be able to accomplish what you're saying. Right. So yeah. is that what motivates you or, you know, what kind of problems motivate you in terms of what you get up to do every day? Well, it's all selfish, too, because I hate delivering bad results. So the only way for me to not deliver bad results is to actually help. So it's sort of self-serving in that regard. But I would say, broadly speaking, I, I, I like ambiguous and structural problem solving. So if you just tell me to kind of, you know, read a report out of, out of our system and then explain, you know, budget versus actual on line item basis, I probably wouldn't do that job. Right. So I'm constantly seeking out different things to do. And that's, they tend to be very unstructured. Like, oh, what is our, what should our comp structure be for sales rep? What should our um, kind of, 
MA strategy be for kind of XYZ, XYZ Z thing we're trying to tackle and how to improve project margin, that sort of thing. So it's, uh, I don't have success in everything I try to tackle, but I at least give it a try. <laughs> right. That's all we can do, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, what, so in closing, we'd like to end on a personal note, you know, find out mm -hmm. a little bit more about you. What, you know, uh, hobbies or um, interests outside of work do you have that recharge you so that you can come, you know, to work with that fresh perspective and motivation to to win and, you know, provide good results? Yeah, so I'll, I'll read, um, you know, I keep aquarium, I'll play some video games, and then I'll and I also enjoy spending a lot of, kind of sucking a golf with my kids. So I take them to golf every Sunday to learn, and I just kind of hack away at it for a bit. So <laughs> it, it's kind of the same thing. It's like a big variety of little things to take my mind off and allow me to focus. Great. Well, thank you, Will. We really appreciate you joining us on EPMI yeah. Cast. And um, of course. You know, have a great rest of your week. We appreciate it. Yep. Perfect. Thanks.